Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. We're in a series. Uh, we're in a series called Upside Down. And uh, this is Upside Down Part 2. And uh, last week uh, we talked from Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, ch- ch- uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and uh, 6. And so I, w- I want you to take a look at it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, verses in the Bible. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not a piece, not a part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Now, many of us, we know this scripture, and, and we've talked about it, or we have pinned it on Pinterest. We talked about it last week. We got it up somewhere. But I want you to know this. Living it and saying it are two different things. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Which i got to be honest, to me, uh, that, that was a little bit odd because I work hard to increase my understanding. I, I work hard to increase my wisdom my maturity, my knowledge. And so this scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, your own wisdom. Which at first, it kind of doesn't make sense to me until I understand our series name upside down. The kingdom of God is upside down. There are going to be some things that God does in some ways that he does them that it's going to seem Upside down. It's going to seem different. So you cannot lean on your own understanding. You've got to trust in the Lord, and it's going to take all your heart. I don't know if you've ever been through some situations in life. It's just halfway trust doesn't do it. You've you got to have like all the way trust. You've got to have full-time trust. You've got to have all your heart trust. And that's the type of trust that God really requires from and asks of us so that he can direct our path. It's not leaning on our own understanding. The kingdom of God is upside down. We talked about this. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to serve. That seems upside down, but it's the way the kingdom works. If you want to receive, then you have to give. And we talked about giving and stewardship. And we talked about how we have to trust God with our finances. We believe in the tithe in this church. We believe 10% of our income off the first of what we get paid, we give to the church and, and to advance the kingdom of God. We believe in that principle. But to live that principle, you have to trust. Every time you get paid, it is a test of who you trust. It's, I knew it was going to get a little quiet in here. It's, it's, it's all right. Uh, we, we talk about giving in this church. We talk about money in this church. It shouldn't make us feel uncomfortable because God's not after your money. He's just after your heart. If he has your heart, you don't have to, go, you don't have to worry about your money. Because if he has your heart, then you get your money, you get everything else as well. So he's got this thing worked out. He, he loves you. He wants to bless you. But I'll tell you this. He wants your attention and your affection, all of your heart, more than any other thing. I want to play for you, before we jump into today too far, I want to play for you a video um, that we recorded of one of our board members, on, he's on one of our board of directors, and uh, of the testimony of what God's done in his life as he has trusted, him and his family have trusted in the Lord, lean not on their own understandings, and God has blessed them. I want you to take a look at this video. So early in my and my wife's marriage, we uh, purchased a house uh, with the intention of remodeling it and uh, ended up spending quite a bit of money doing so. We uh, 
uh, had a card. I remember painfully going to Home Depot and just putting so much on my credit card and uh, just racking up a lot of debt. And we uh, got to a point where it was uh, having a real hard time making ends meet. And one month uh, I knew we weren't going to be able to make our mortgage payments. So I was trying to think of something that I could do to make that happen. So I remembered some blinds that we'd purchased and uh, went ahead and took them back to the store and uh, begged the manager that was on duty, you know, would you please take these back? Give me a refund. I didn't have my receipt. I didn't have the original form of credit. But uh, lo and behold, she ended up uh, refunding me the money and we were able to make the mortgage payment that month. Uh, but as time progressed, things just continually got tougher and uh, continue to take on more debt and uh, ended up going to church one Sunday. We'd always been in church and uh, grew up in church uh, and I heard a message uh, that Sunday the pastor talking about tithing and um, you know he told a story about a gentleman that came into his office and said you know pastor I just I can't tithe you know I can't make make my bills as it is I can't tithe and the pastor said hey you know if you'll begin tithing uh, and you come back to me at the end of the month whatever you're short I'll make the difference up. The guy said, hey, I'm in. And uh, the pastor said, you know, isn't that interesting that you would trust me, you know, a human with faults and uh, shortcomings, but you won't trust God. And that just really convicted my wife and I. And we talked about it that night and it just really stuck with us. And we just really felt like God was calling us to this principle uh, that he asked us to do and to tithe. And we didn't know how we were going to do it because the, the money was tight. But we said, you know, we're just going to walk in this. We're going to begin to do it and then uh, let God move. And at that point, really a burden lifted off of me. And I knew that that burden was no longer on me and that anxiety and that stress and everything that I was overwhelmed with trying to figure this out every month and figuring out what blinds I could take back to make our mortgage I just knew that that had shifted to God and all he was asking me to do was just work hard and that he would cover the rest and so uh, that's what we did we put our faith in that and uh, as time progressed that's exactly what he did you know uh, business started getting better personally everything was getting better and so I'm happy to say today we are completely debt-free and I know that that happened because of the time we stopped and asked ourselves the question whose hands are our finances in ours or God's amen come on isn't that amazing that's the type of people we got serving on our board that are stewarding our church. It's amazing. Every time uh, we, we give, it is really a test of trust. It, it really is. It's, I, I love that. It wasn't me, just FYI, that said uh, what he mentioned in, in the video because that pastor kind of like shots fired. Uh, he, he said, I don't know if you heard that, he, he said, uh, if, if you tithe, if it doesn't work out, you know, you still have needs or whatever, I will, you know, I'll give your tithe back. And the guy agreed to it. And then he said, it's interesting that you would trust me but you wouldn't trust God. That's just like shots fired. Like, it's like, okay, here it is. That's what pastors like to do. You ever notice that? You know, they like the trick questions. I hate that. Just always go with Jesus. That's just like, the, that's usually the right answer. Uh, but I, I, I'll tell you, it, it is a test of trust when we obey God. Every, every single time. It is a test of trust. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 11 now, and I want to read you our scripture for today. Proverbs chapter 11, out of the message translation, it's a paraphrase translation, verse 24 and 25, it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. This scripture is another example of upside down. It is another example of an upside-down kingdom. It says, if I bless others, then I'm blessed. If I help other people, then I'm blessed. But I want to focus in on this. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, while the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. 
Like I said, I was just in uh, Nicaragua and, and uh, took Pastor Cam with me and we we're preaching a crusade there and he actually stayed to preach the last night of the crusade so I could be back here for Sunday and, and so he's on his way back now, did a phenomenal job. Uh, he shared his testimony, how God saved him, turned his life around on, uh, on TV in Nicaragua. They're in a TV studio, they broadcast it all over the nation of Nicaragua, hearing the testimony, how God completely set him free in his life and turned his life around. And so we're there and, 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 and he brought some fidget spinners, which is not, if you know Pastor Cam, that's not like odd. Um, he probably brought them for himself. He didn't bring them for any other reason because he needs those things. And, and so he brought them and, and, and so he gave them to the pastor's kids and they'd never seen fidget spinners before. And, and so they, they got these fidget spinners, and they're like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. He's playing with them and, and all that. Well, I have two boys, and so I happen to know how a fidget spinner works. Happen to be actually pretty good at it. So I started showing off for the, for the kids. You know, I'm like, let me show you what this is going to do. I put it on my nose, you know, just spin that thing. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, oh, wow, they really like this. So I, now I'm getting into them, stacking fidget spinners and spinning them different ways. I'm like, oh, watch this. And, and so they're, they're watching, and, 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 and they love it. And, and they, but they'd never seen a fidget spinner before, so now they've been introduced. To a, to a fidget spinner and the world grows because your world grows to the place or to the point of your exposure. This is why I love traveling is when you see different places, when you go different places, your world, those kids' world grew. I don't know if it's good or bad because they're going to be wanting fidget spinners, but the, the, world grew, the world grew. I remember the first time I bought fidget spinners for my boys. They've been telling me about them. They want them. I've been hearing about them. So I went to the gas station because people said they were sold out everywhere. And so you had to go to the gas station when they first came out. So I go to the gas station, and I'm like, two fidget spinners. You know, throw them on the, throw them on the counter. Gas station, I'm thinking, you know, like $1.99. They're like, $16, sir. I'm like, no, no, I just, wa- I just wanted the fidget spinners. So, yeah, $16, six, $16. I'm like, how much are they individually? He's like, $7.99, sir. I'm like, okay, cool. And now I'm like, if you have kids, you know this, I'm beyond the point of no return. It's, it's going to cost me more than $16 in peace. If I put those things back, then if I follow through. So I'm just like, there you go. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm buying the fidget spinners. Fidget spinners increase or enlarge the world of, of these kids. It, it, when I moved to Texas nine years ago, uh, I moved to Texas, and I love football. If you don't know me, I love, love football. I love, you have to forgive me, the Seattle Seahawks, number one, Dallas Cowboys, number two. Um, still love them, just it's priority, okay? And and, 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 but I love football. I love all kinds of football. Last night I watched the University of Washington uh, beat Utah. They had to beat in the last second, last second field goal, and it's in the Pac-10, Pac-12, so it's in, you know, it's in, in the Northwest. So it, um, the game ended really, really late, and I was really, really tired from flying in, but I had to watch it. You know, just, yeah, there's some things you have to do. So I love football. I moved to Texas, and pastor said, hey, you got to go to an Allen High School football game. And I'm like, great, let's go. So we went to the game, roll up. It was at the old stadium. They hadn't even built this monstrosity yet. And, and so we went over here, and I'm like, looking around, I'm like, so what college, um, like, usually plays here? They're like, he goes, no, 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 this is the high school stadium. I'm like, I know it's the high school team, but, like, whose field is it? He goes, this is their field. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is their field? There's, like, 15,000 people here. He's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is normal. This is Texas football. Welcome to Texas. My world was enlarged. Because, see, I'd never seen that many people at a high school football game. I'd never seen a field like that. I'd never seen grandstands like that at a high school football game. 
but my world was enlarged as I was exposed to something beyond me, something bigger than me. I'm going to tell you what generosity does. Generosity enlarges your world. Generosity expands what you see as possible. Generosity opens you up to a new dimension as much as stinginess decreases. Or it says the world of the stingy grows smaller and smaller. I want to talk about quickly how to enlarge your world. How to enlarge the world. The first thing you got to do to enlarge the world is you have to be a doer. You just have to be a doer. We got a lot of talkers. We got a lot of sayers. We got a lot of quoters. We got a lot of readers. We got a lot of posters. But we need some doers. It is one thing to know the verses on giving. It is another thing to actually do it. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing to actually put it in to practice. But we have to be a doer. Being a doer means exactly that. Putting into practice what the Word says. We believe, like we said, we believe in the tithe. Somebody say, well, you know, that's what I'm kind of working towards. That's what I'm, I'm just going to tell you, there's some things there's just never a good time for. Giving away 10% of your check, there's just never a good time for it. That's just kind of like having a baby. Y'all remember that? Like, like me, and me and Jamie, we waited a long time to have kids because we're waiting for that right time. You know, it's like, let's just, you know, when we're good, when we're good, when the money's good, when that, every, there's no good time. I mean, it's just like, it's just, you gotta just, you just gotta have a kid, you know? And then it's like, it's, then, then all of a sudden you have time. You ever felt like you're so busy? Like, you cannot add one more thing to your schedule and then you have a kid. All of a sudden you have time. You make time. Because priorities change. Your world gets bigger. Because now you have to adjust. See, the, the thing about a, a generous person is they have the ability to act. I'm not talking about being spontaneous. I'm not talking about being unwise. I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm talking about being decisive. I'm talking about not just waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect check. Because you will wait for a really long time. It never feels comfortable. It never feels comfortable to be generous. It never feels comfortable to give something that you worked hard for away. It never feels comfortable. But the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And generous people, they do. They act. James says it like this. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Do not just listen or do not just quote or post the word. Do what it says. Well, pastor, I don't know when a good time to give is. The good time to give is right now. It, it, it's, it's just never going to be the right time. You just have to decide at some point the type of person that you want to be, the type of Christian that you want to be. You know, it always gets uncomfortable when people talk about money, especially in the church. You know, it's like people talk about money. And, and we've been saying this is the church, our church doesn't want something from you. We want something for you. And we teach unashamedly about tithing and about money because this is not for us. If you never gave another dollar to this church, the church would still survive. The lights would still go on because God would make sure that we would be provided for. But I'm going to tell you this is when you give, it's for you. When you decide to be a generous hearted person, it is for you. It does not say when you become generous, everyone else's world gets larger because it's upside down. When you become generous, your, your world begins to get larger. We need the faith to put into practice what we believe. A generous person, they, they got to be a doer. But you also have to be a giver. 
Now, I want to explain this because we think, well, if I'm an obeyer, then I must be a giver. You know, the Bible says this. It says that God desires obedience over sacrifice. I found that to be a little bit of a trick because usually my obedience is a sacrifice. But God wants us to obey. I found out that if we don't obey before we sacrifice, we, we, we sacrifice to get out of obeying. So I'll give some and it feels like a sacrifice because I'm giving something, but it's still not obedience. I have to obey, and oftentimes my obedience is a sacrifice, but God is more concerned with our obedience than he is your amount. God is into percentages, and I'll tell you why he's into percentages. He doesn't say give $10,000. He says give 10%. The reason he says 10% is because there is no measure or amount that is greater than someone else's. Your 10% is different than my 10%, but it's still the same percentage. That, that, the reason that God does it that way is so that we get into our hearts that it's equal sacrifice or it's equal obedience. It is not about the amount of the gift. There was a story in scripture about a widow that came and she gave two mites and Jesus was sitting there by the temple and he watched her put that money and he said, all these people gave out of their excess. This woman gave out of her need. And he celebrated what she gave because of the percentage. So you got to be an obeyer. you got to obey. you got to do. But you also have to give. What does that mean just to give? you got to give to something that will outlive you. You've got to give to something. See, when you sow into this church, you give to something that outlives you. When you sow into the kingdom of God, you sow into something that outlives you. I remember when we were building this building. We opened this grand opening weekend, and I, could, I was so happy. I was so grateful. I could barely talk without crying because I was just so grateful to everything that God had done. And we got in this building, and you know what I thought? I said, even after I am dead and gone, this building will be here. And people will still have encounters with Jesus. Generations after I am, I'm forgotten. People don't even know my name. People will still come into this building and they will experience Jesus. That's amazing. See, many of you sacrificed to give to the 147 Fund, the Heart for the House, to build this building. You gave to something that is going to outlive you. You sowed into something that is going to outlive your life and continue to reach future generations. The Bible says, it says to be generous on every occasion. What I mean by being a giver, because people say, well, I'm a tither, so I must be a giver. No, tithing is obedience. Giving is generous. I'll say that again because it's already quiet, so you might as well go all the way in, right? When I tithe, that is obedience. That's not generosity. When I give, I just messed with somebody's theology. I'm sorry. When I give, that's generosity. When I tithe, I'm bringing back to God what is already his. When I give, I'm giving out of what he's given me to have. And that takes great generosity. I'm going to just let you know this. God doesn't have to speak to you for you to give. He already spoke through his word. He said, be generous on every occasion. So he doesn't have to speak to us to give. Some of us like wait around like, Lord, if it's your will for me to tithe, I would like for you to speak to me audibly, preferably, and I will wait and listen. Nope, you didn't? Okay, it is not. No, no, you don't have to wait for the audible voice of God because you have the written voice of God. And many of us, we wait on things as justification to get out of what God's asking us to do. And I just want you to know this, is that when, if someone's in need, we should give to them. We, we should, amen? We, we, we should 
We should give to them. That should be something that we do. Well, I don't know if they deserve it, Pastor. You know what the Bible says? It says, lend to the poor freely. Period. Where I kind of wish it would say, like, lend to the poor that are really poor, and it wasn't their fault to be poor, poor, and if you give them money, they're going to use it wisely, and then they won't be poor anymore, so you don't have to give them more next month. That's what I wish it said. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one that has those thoughts, you know, kind of like, this will come back to bite me, you know, because now they know I'm going to give, and they'll come back next month when the rent's due again. It says, lend to the poor freely. Almost as if it's not about me meeting that need as much as me having a generous heart and releasing what I have. Me getting free of materialism to be able to say, what I've been blessed with, I want to give to you. Hold everything you have with an open hand. See, this is what I found. Real givers, real generous people, they obey but they also give. They are not, they, are, they never regulate themselves to, well, I'm going to do that and that's, that's it. Nothing else. It's everything I have is open hand. I'll give you a tip about God, okay? I'm just like, I shouldn't say this in church, okay? But I'm going to give you a tip about God. Everything that you hold on to like this, close-handed, he usually tries to get. Just, I'm just, if he's listening, it's, that he's going after it. Be, because he, it's not like God needs like, it's like been a rough month. He's like, oh, hey, guys, like, let's everybody try to tithe this month. Like, kingdom's really suffering. I need some, I need some coin. Like, let's, let's do this. Let's do it together. It's not. He, he doesn't need our tip. He doesn't need us to do something special for him. What he needs is our heart. This is why he asks. This is why he asks things from us is because he is after our heart. Why is it uncomfortable when we talk about money? It's because money is attached to our heart. And if it wasn't, then we'd have no problem talking about it. Is that too much for the 10 o'clock? It, 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 it's, that one, I got to say that one for the 1145. We, everything we have, we have to hold with open hand. You know what I found out? The things I usually hold with open hand, God never asks for. And the things I hold tightly, it's like he's after it. So you can reverse engineer God. It's yours, God. It's yours. I promise you it's yours. Now, I will say this. He knows your thoughts, motives, and intents of your heart. So he will test you on that. So some of you are like, okay, I'm going to get him, Pastor. This card's yours, God. And then he's going to say, okay, give it. That's what he did to the rich young ruler. You remember this? He said, I followed all these commands. Either this and this and this. And God says, Jesus says to him, he says, well, why don't you give all your possessions to the poor? Uh, I've obeyed. Maybe you didn't hear that part. I've obeyed all the commandments. And he says, yeah, why don't you? Because he went after the thing that was attached to his heart. That's what he went after. If he wasn't connected to his, his treasure with his heart, God would have went after what el whatever else was in the way. He is only after the things that get in the way of our 100% complete dedication and adoration of him. You've got to be a giver. Number three, you have to be a seer. You've got to be a seer. In the Old Testament, they used this term seer for prophet because a prophet had the ability to supernaturally or spiritually see into the future of the nation or future into the future of the kingdom and give wisdom or advice. And I'm going to tell you our New Testament equivalent of a seer, of a generous person, is someone who is a, has the ability to see a need. See, most needs that we see are our own. 
That's, that's what we see. And that's why the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller until only thing you can see is your need. But I'm going to tell you this, is that as you are generous, your world begins to increase and expand, and your world gets larger and larger, and you begin to see the needs that are all around you. When we were in Nicaragua, and we were there this, this week, and, and so I'm... I'm, I'm there meeting with the pastor, and, and he tells me the story. Three years ago, Limo, a missionary that's in our church, he prayed on a piece of property that they were believing God for. He said, we're believing God for this piece of property. It's very expensive. This pastor does not have money. The church does not have money. And he says, we're believing God for this. A year and a half later, I was there a year and a half ago, and we went, and we stood on that property, and he told me the vision that he had for that property to build a training center and to build a church and, and in this community. He had a heart. His heart was breaking for the community. He said, I want to build something right here, but we need, we need this land. And we prayed. We believe God that God was going to give him that land a year and a half ago. Now fast forward to this trip. I was just there. We held the crusade on the land that we had prayed for a year and a half ago. God had miraculously given them the land. The lady, which is unheard of in that poor nation, she gave them the land. She said, pay me when you can. And now they're holding services in the land on the property. And this is where they have services underneath a huge tree. And people bring chairs from their houses. And they carry them. And they walk miles to come to sit underneath the tree and set up the chairs, their own chairs. I honestly wouldn't mind that because I bring like a really comfy chair. Um, we can't get too comfy in here because some of y'all just like haven't slept all weekend so you go to sleep. Anyways, um, so they bring their chairs. They set up underneath the tree. They have 23 chairs and they have well over 100 people in their church. So they have to bring over 80 chairs to the so the pastor said, yeah, our people are so amazing. They just carry their chairs. And we sit up under this tree, and when it rains, sometimes we can't have church, but we get underneath this, this, this tree. And I'm like, pastor, we're going to the market right now, and we're going to buy you chairs. I said, church 1132 is going to buy you chairs because God's been generous to us. We're going to be generous to you. And he began to cry. So we packed up the truck, and we went to the market, and he's crying. I'm crying. Some of you guys saw in my Instagram stories. He's just, like, got this big old smile on his face, and, 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 and we're both, we both start bawling, and I'm buying him the, the chairs, and the lady buying, doing the transactions like, these guys are really weird. And we bought 42 brand new chairs that we put on the property. And so when we had the crusade, people were sitting not in brought chairs. They were sitting in the very new, brand new chairs that we had purchased, our church had purchased for their church. It takes the ability to see to be able to see a need outside of your own. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, it says, mercy to the needy is a loan to God. And God pays back those loans in full. I want you to hear this because we think, well, we gave those chairs to that church. You know, we gave those chairs to the Lord. It says, when you give to the needy, you are giving to the Lord. Jesus talked about this, that when you feed a brother, when you clothe a brother, when you, when you give them, those who are in need, something is like you're giving it to him. When we give to the needy, we are giving to God. Let me tell you something about your money. Your money is meant to be intentional, not accidental. Which means I decide where my money goes. I decide what I'm going to give it to. And when we have right stewardship techniques, then we will have margin in our life. When we have margin in our life, we will have money that we will be able to say, this is going there. We see the need, and we're going to feel the need. 
Generosity is amazing. Generosity does a bunch of things. Let me tell you, generosity is a breaker. What does it break? It breaks the spirit of materialism that's on our life. There is something about giving something away that changes everything about who you are. Generosity is a breaker. Generosity is a lifestyle. I think a lot of people go through surges of generosity. No, generosity is a lifestyle. It's something you plan for. It's something you budget for. It's something you strategize for. It's a part. We have hundreds of people in this church that do automatic withdrawals online, and, and, and they give every month, every paycheck. They just give. Con- it's their rhythm. We've got hundreds more that give consistently. They tithe, but they also give above the tithe to 14.7, to missions, to these other things. They're givers. They're not just obeyers, doers. They're givers. And every month, it's a part of their rhythm. Generosity is a lifestyle. Generosity is a weapon. Generosity is a weapon. We said this last week, our wealth is supposed to be used as a weapon, not as a crutch. When we don't steward it well, it becomes a crutch. When we steward it well, it becomes a weapon, a tool in which we can advance the kingdom of God. We had many people, hundreds of people, that were able to use their wealth as a weapon to start the Wiley campus. And we were able to start that campus, and hundreds of people are there today worshiping God because we were generous. When Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, we were able to send thousands of dollars to a church that had been wiped out by the flood. All kinds of members were out of their houses. We sent $7,600 over to that church, and we said, we don't want anything from you. We don't need anything from you. We want to be a blessing to you. And we used our money as a weapon. Generosity is a builder. We talked about when we built this building. Generosity is a builder. It was by generosity that we built this building. And this building will outlive us. And people will continue to encounter God and continue to have life change. Generosity, I love this, is a response. Generosity is an act of worship. Because when you see everything that God's done for you, when I see all that God's done for me, my giving It really isn't generosity. It's just a response. It's gratitude. I say this all the time, and I really believe this. Gratitude is the fuel of generosity. When I see what God's done for me, how can I be selfish? How can I be materialistic? When I go to Nicaragua and I see something like that, I just think, we could change the world. We could change the world. But most of us, our world's too small because our world only includes us. But generosity begins to knock out the walls. It begins to arrange the furniture. It begins to grow the church and enlarge who you are. Generosity is a seed. What you give is a seed sown. And when you give it, although it dies, a seed has to die in order to produce a harvest. And so when you give, that seed dies and you feel it. When it dies, it's gone. There it goes. I'm giving. But that seed, once it is given, it continues to bring life. It was years ago, I was, we were in the process of transitioning from me from youth pastor, executive pastor to lead pastor, and I was starting to be in the board meetings. The transition was coming soon. We were trying to build this building. We needed to raise $1.2 million. And I sat in a board meeting, and we heard, because we had some board members that were seers, they heard that Pastor Chapaya was building a building in Africa to seat, I think it's over 2,000 people that this thing seats, and they had the floor done, but they didn't have a roof. When it rained, it would just rain straight on them. The heat was straight on them, and it would cost $20,000 to put the roof on. And so in the board meeting, they say, hey, guys, we've got to give 
$20,000 to Pastor Chabiah so he can put that roof on the building. And I'm like just kind of coming on the scene, you know. I wish I could tell you I was a little more spiritual and faith-filled. I'm like, hey, guys, there's a new sheriff in town. Here's what we're not doing. We're not sending $20,000 to Africa. We're building the building right here. And they're like, we built the church this way. We planted the church this way. This is who we are. We're givers. We're seers. And I'm like, well, here's the deal. Like, once we get that building built, then we can kind of like, but the kingdom of God's upside down. And I'm like, guys, we're trying to raise $1.2 million. And they said, what a small seed $20,000 would be. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be rough. So I said, okay, write the check. So we wrote the check and we sent it to Pastor Chapaya. Pastor Chapaya put a roof on his building. Thousands on thousands of people come to that building, have been saved, have been set free because of the generosity of this church. I'm going to go preach at their crusade this summer in Zambia, Africa. And I'm going to get to stand under the roof that y'all put on. And I'm going to see hundreds and thousands of people come to know Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you, the kingdom of God's upside down. Because we had such a great need, it blinded me from seeing how we could meet a small need. And I thought once we met our great need, then we could have the means to meet the small need, but it's upside down. God said, you need to give this so that you can have that. That's not the motive, that's the result. When every getting is the result, you step out of the character of God because God's not trying to get you to be more selfish. He's trying to get you to be more generous. So some people say, well, if you give, God will give it to you. That's the wrong motive. You have totally missed it. Why would God try to make you more selfish than you already are? That does not make sense. I give because God's been generous to me, period. And as a result of my giving, God is so pleased that he gives back. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's usually where we stop. We're like, yes, bless God, brother. We're going to lay down our lives. And then it continues. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. With actions. With actions. With actions. I want to just free some people up. We're not taking an offering today. So this is not to try to get a big offering. We're blessed. God's providing for us. We're taken care of. As God increases the giving in this church, we're going to increase the, in, the, the impact and the outreach and the ministry. It's going to be amazing. We're going to see it. But that's, that's going to happen because God's blessing this church. There's a story in, in the book of Luke. And I want to close with this. Chapter 19. And it, it's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, the Bible teaches us, was a short guy. I can relate. And, and so he's a short man. And the Bible says that he could not see over the crowd. And the crowd was swarming around Jesus. And so the Bible says he ran ahead to a tree. He climbed up into the tree because he saw the way that Jesus was coming. I love that picture, is that he knew where Jesus was going. Many of us are where Jesus was. It's another message for another time, but he was where Jesus was going. And so he's there, and he climbs the tree, and the Bible says when Jesus reached the spot, 
I'm going to tell you, there is this spot, there is this place of desperation where it, it, it intersects with God's provision. That is a place of encounter, a place of life change. And so Zacchaeus is there, and Jesus comes up on the tree. He sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He tells him, you got to come down. And the Bible says this. He says, I'm coming to your house, which I love. Because I think as the church, we've got to be a little too selfish. And we say, you come to our house, and we'll give you the gospel. Forgot that we're missionaries and that we carry the gospel, and maybe we need to go to the world because that's isn't that the great great commission? Go into all the churches now. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, "I'm going to your house." And Zacchaeus calls ahead, "Honey, get the house ready." Literally, the Messiah is on his way over, and so they're on the way over, and they they get to the house, and 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 they come in, and I want to read you this: what Zacchaeus says. He says. In verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now. I want you to see that. Here and now. Not next time, not when I get paid, not when the bonus comes. Here and now. I give half of my, I love those Old Testament Christians. Don't like that Old Testament stuff, you know, just 10%. This is what Zacchaeus did. Half of everything he owned. Here and now. I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me just tell you something about the story. Radical salvation resulted in radical generosity. Radical salvation resulted in radical generosity. When Jesus met this man, Jesus changed his life and the only response for him was not like, I gotta go tell my friends. I got to like post about this. I got to tell people about how bad my life was, how Jesus changed. It was none of that. His first response was, I'd like to give half of everything I own away. What? Because he knew how bad he was. He knew how lost he was. He knew how empty he was. He said, man, Jesus can see me in a tree. He can have everything. Why am I holding back? I'm going to tell you something, is that God wants to equip this church, and God wants to empower this church, and it's bigger than Church 1132. It's about the kingdom. It's about God moving throughout the earth. In this church, it's about local mission, it's about global mission, and it's about the future generations. It is about us equipping the saints. It is by us equipping the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So when people have God encounters, when people meet Jesus, we're going to create the context. We're going to create the trees. We're going to create the opportunities for them to have encounters with God. But when you really see what God's done for you, it results in, it produces right Radical generosity. Stingy people have a small world and they can't see that what they have has been given to them. But generous people have a large world and see that everything I have is a gift of God's grace. Everything that's been entrusted to me, everything that's been given to me is because God loves me and God trusts me. We set up those chairs and you should have seen the pride on this pastor's face when he set up those brand new chairs underneath that tree I asked him I said when I got the when the ladies they did the conversion they showed the calculator to me how much it cost turned it towards me look at it $199 I'm like God help us $199 we flipped this church upside down gave them capacity get $109 we, some of us spend that on a weekend at dinner and a movie it, it's 
We we changed their world. We completely changed their world. We can barely get a wall up on this building for 20,000, but we put a roof on a 2,000-seat auditorium, and now thousands of people worship Jesus. See, we have the ability when we come together as the church. That's why the church is so powerful, is when we come together with one mission and with one cause. Who can stop the church of Jesus Christ? Who can stop his church when they get a, a vision of the world outside of who they are, when they have the ability to see? We're seers, we're doers, and we're givers. That's who we are. That's our DNA. That's our makeup. That is who God has made us to be. And when we do that, I'm just going to tell you this. We can change the world. People used to laugh at me when I said that when I was younger. They said, oh, yeah, that's this cliche thing to say. And people still kind of chuckle. Now they just keep it quieter, you know, do it behind my back. I still believe we can change the world. I believe we can change the world. I believe that God doesn't want a church that is so caught up with themselves that they can't see the need outside of them. I don't think God is coming back for a church that is just so full of them that they spend everything God's given them on them. I think God wants a church that sees a need in a city and says, if I can meet it, I will meet it. If I can provide for it, I'll provide for it. Everything I have, God, is in my open hand. You can take it and use it however you want. You can use me however you I'm here to make a difference. I'm telling you Church 1132 is going to make a difference. And it's not about our name. It's not about this church. It's not about a denomination. It's not about one belief. It's about the church of Jesus Christ making a difference in this world. And I'm still crazy and and, and have faith enough to believe that we can do it. Why don't you stand up with me across all our campuses I want to just take a moment. I'm fired up today. I just, I hope, I hope you're all right. I, I, I came in. Jamie's like, are you tired? I'm like, I, I, I should be. I feel good today. I feel, I wish, I wish we had like another hour. Like, I feel good today. If I had another hour, y'all be running around this place. But, you know, it's, just, it's Sunday morning. We're, we're, we're sophisticated and mature. What could God do through you? time to talk about it, but I'm doing practical stuff in my own life to make my world bigger. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. You have no idea what this church is going to do in 2018. I'm telling you, in 2018, it's we're about to, in the next couple months, you're going to start hearing. God has been speaking to me. We are going, we are going to be so generous. We are going to, we are going to be so uh, strategic. Oh, Pastor, what are we going to do? What are we... It, we're all going to be blessed. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to do something outside of us. We're going to say, even, even this Christmas, you'll be hearing about the next couple of weeks. This Christmas, we're going to do something so radical. It's, 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 going to, it's going to bless our city. It's going to be wild. That's who we are. Maybe we just need to stop being who we aren't. Maybe that's the struggle. Is we're trying to be something that we're not. We're trying to follow the wrong image. We're trying to be like someone we shouldn't be like. And it's like, that's why it feels so uncomfortable. That's when David put on Saul's armor. And he said, this doesn't feel right. This is not me. Because it wasn't him. He didn't need someone else's armor on him. He needed to go in the strength he had. And maybe some of us have tried to be like the world and look like the world and have the things like the world has. I'm not against any of those things. I'm just saying, God wants to use everything we have. 
as a weapon to move forward the kingdom of God. Do you know everything we have is His anyways? Not all of us believe that, but it's true. Everything we have, it belongs to Him. And if we let Him use it, we can make a difference in the world that outlives us. How amazing is that? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.